Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm going to let you know that uh, I've been waiting a long time for this portion to come around because I came across something like a while ago and it, it struck me in such a profound way that I, it, it's connected to the Parsha. And so I've had to wait to give you this message. So the time is finally here. It's my, it's the first message of 2019. It has to do with the portion Bo, which is where we are in the Torah. This is probably the defining and fundamental point in Jewish history. Because what happens this week defines our relationship with God going forward. It defines the Jewish people. It defines redemption. It defines so many things for us as the plagues come to an end and Israel is finally released. But I want to talk about one of the, one of the most difficult things that people always go to when it comes to talking about Pharaoh, and particularly people, because Pharaoh is very much at the center of this story, as are Moshe and the children of Israel. But one of the things, one of the arguments of people who like to argue against a reason for God, even, and this, re, this requires someone who has some knowledge of the scripture to put forward this argument. But people often put forward the argument that says, I can't believe in a God who X, Y, Z would send the African native to hell because he doesn't know you, Jesus. I can't believe in God because of what I read in the Torah. So on and so forth. There's a number of reasons that are just absolutely excuses that people give because why? Serving God is difficult. It is. And it's getting more difficult, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. So you need to you need to to sharpen up your chops. You need to get your head in the word, and you need to be prepared to always put forth a testimony about who God is and who Yeshua is and why. That's from the book of Timothy. Just in case you needed to be reminded of that. But one of the educated responses or or arguments against God is. I couldn't serve a God who does what he did to Pharaoh. What did he do to Pharaoh? He hardened his heart. We talked about that actually last year. We talked a lot about Pharaoh's hard heart and the mystery surrounding it and the two words that are used in the Torah to define strengthen and harden and make stubborn and all these different things. And you can go back and listen to that. That's not what we're talking about today. But we are going to talk about did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. Was Pharaoh committed beyond any shadow of a doubt to pursuing the path that he remained on? No, actually, he wasn't. And we're going to look at that today. Along with the real point, silver and gold in Egypt. The real value. Okay? So, that's a, that's a, little, that's a little intro. Pharaoh, it would seem, is beyond hope at this point because it says God hardened his heart. 
right? We're coming to the end of the plagues. We're coming to this time where Pharaoh and all the firstborn of Egypt are going to die. He and his servants have hardened their heart. Even with an understanding that God is God, that they were wrong and they were sinners. But ultimately, what is Pharaoh's sin? Anyone have a Bible? Turn to Proverbs 16, 18 and read that out loud for me. What was Pharaoh's ultimate downfall? Any guesses? Easy, who said it? Paul, Kelly. Kelly, you told Paul to say that, right? Read Proverbs 16, 18. I'll tell you what it is. 16, 18. Pharaoh is one prideful sucker. That is his downfall. Had he become arrogant? Was Pharaoh arrogant? By this point, all of his crops had been, well, not, not actually all of his crops. Some of his crops remained. From the hail, most of the crops were destroyed, but wheat and spelt, which were actually the primary food sources, were still around. But Pharaoh's land and the majority of his agriculture had been attacked. His personal body had been attacked, his physical well-being. And now he's literally on the verge of everything. The locusts are coming. The plague of the firstborn is coming. Does he relent? No. And you want to like, you want to just shake him and say, how can you not see? And as a matter of fact, his own guys do metaphorically shake him. Like what you would expect it to sound like is, Pharaoh, dude, moron! Can you not see what's happening? It says, don't you see that Egypt is lost? They tone it down a little bit. They don't say moron. They say in 10.7, Pharaoh's courtier said to him, how long shall this one be a snare to us? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Are you not aware that Egypt is lost? Was he aware that Egypt is lost? No, he wasn't. An interesting note though. I remember we talked about Pharaoh. This was I'm referring back to last year's message. I'm certain you remember it word for word. We talked about Pharaoh being done, his decision made, no turning back. And one could suggest that, I don't believe it, it's not true, one could suggest that God's mercy had run out toward Pharaoh. But that is not actually the truth because God's mercy never runs out. In this verse 1, we know that God made Pharaoh's heart and his servants' hearts stubborn hard. And that would seem to be insurmountable when God does something to you. Do you have the power to overturn it? Well, it turns out in this case, you actually do. What's the evidence? The evidence is that the text says God hardened the hearts of Pharaoh and his courtiers. Did Pharaoh turn? Did Pharaoh turn? Did he repent? Did he come back? Did he apologize? No. Did his courtiers? Yeah. And we're going to find out. And they're already, you're already seeing it happen. 
These guys are begging Pharaoh, soften your heart, please. Give in, please. We're seeing it. Why don't you? God had supernaturally made them stubborn, but they're still able to respond appropriately. Don't ever say that God did this to you. James says, don't say that God ever causes you to sin, that He tempts you to sin. He does test. He definitely tests. But these guys had an appropriate response, and we're going to come back to the importance of them in just a second. The significance of Pharaoh's hard heart, though, this you see often. Nazi Germany is a good example of this. Pharaoh's hard heart affected the entire society. Hitler and his hard heart, to say the very least, affected and blinded an entire community to the death of over 10 million people, 6 million Jews, 1 million Jewish children. One leader's despicably wicked heart can have an impact. So much damage done, so much pain, so much preventable heartache that could have been stopped by one act. Humility. And God always gives you this chance. Humility. Submitting to God's sovereign will. Recognizing an error. Repenting. Obeying. Exodus 11.3 The veil of Pharaoh's wickedness is removed. Not from him, but from his people. From his servants. The Lord, and this is a strange consideration as well. The Lord disposed the Egyptians favorably toward the people. Moreover, Moses himself was much esteemed in the land of Egypt. Among who? Pharaoh's courtiers. Am I saying that right? I think I am. Courtiers. And among the people. So, everybody sees it except Pharaoh. Moses is esteemed among the people. Hashem granted the people favor in the eyes of Egypt, even among Pharaoh's closest advisors. And we had already begun to see that in the text I wrote you before. Can't, I mean, the read you. Can't you see Egypt is lost, man? And after all that has happened and all that Egypt goes through because of Israel, they still send them out with a blessing. That's weird. The children of Israel carried out the word of Moshe. They requested from the Egyptians silver vessels, gold vessels, and garments. Hashem gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Hear me on that and grant and, and finish it and granted their request. So they emptied Egypt, it says. Why did they ask for silver and gold? I just read it to you, but I'll remind you. Because Moses told them to. Why did Moses tell them to ask for silver and gold? That's weird. Just get your stuff and get out. Especially considering what they did with the gold when they finally got into the desert. Remember it? Why did Moses ask? Moses asked because God very likely told Moses to tell them because Moses was hearing everything from God. So God tells Moses, go to them 
and tell them to ask for silver and gold. And they go to Egypt and ask for silver and gold. And what does Egypt do? Gives it to them. A lot of it. So much so that they empty out Egypt. So they're leaving with a blessing. Why? Well, the easy answer is because they had to. The easy answer is because the prophecy that was given to Abraham said, your people will serve, your your people will suffer in Egypt, but they're going to leave with great blessing. So we can say, well, they had to. That's the only reason it was prophesied. That's Genesis 15, 14. I'll judge the nation after that. They'll leave with great wealth. But, But why did they ask for it? At this point, Egypt is nothing. They're humbled. They're wailing and moaning over their dead. They have boils and lice and hail and fire and all these things that they've been through. Israel could have marched right into the treasury and taken it. Why in the world did they ask for it? It was necessary in the process of reconciliation. What? Let me explain it. Moses knew that this was an important part of the future of Israel because God told him that. Moses knew that they needed to go in and ask for this. Why? Because there needed to be a willing transfer between the two. And someone could argue and say, give me a break, Damien. They just wanted them to get the H-E double hockey stick out. Take what you want and leave. I don't care. You can have it all. But there's something much more significant at play here. This was a necessary step. This momentous, world-shaking event, the plagues, death, Life was going to go on for both of them. Did Israel emerge from this thing? Yes. Did Egypt emerge from this thing? Yes. Life was going to go on. And something has to happen in these situations. There is a choice made when you face a difficult and hurtful situation as to how you will go forward from it. And this is what I'm saying. For Egypt, God granted the people, Israel, favor in the eyes of Egypt. God allowed them to see what Pharaoh was unwilling to see. These Hebrews were God's people. He heard their cries. He was rescuing them. And Egypt was forced to face the fact that they had done them wrong. They had enslaved them. Pharaoh never saw it. These people were people. The Israelites were people with children. And they had been abused. And there was a victim here. And it was at the hand of Egypt that the victim existed. Egypt was wrong. And there was a reason. Pharaoh never saw it. His courtiers did. His his entire nation saw it. But the truth of the matter is, Pharaoh also saw it. And because of his Proverbs 16-18 problem, he refused to accept it. Pharaoh said, I have 
sinned. He said to them, I have sinned to Adonai your God and to you. But did he relent? No, he didn't relent. It's the person who knows they're wrong, but that will not apologize who we dislike the most in this world. Don't we? I had a problem with that early on in my marriage. I was never wrong. I've come to realize that that still is actually the truth. I am never wrong, but now I at least act... The key to reconciliation with anyone is being willing to accept the fact that sometimes you're an idiot. Men, mostly idiots. Women, insensitive, mean, hurtful, whatever nice word. Men, you're idiots most of the time. You must accept responsibility for yourself. Pharaoh kind of did, but never corrected the ship. I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to change a thing. The difference here is that Pharaoh and his people had sinned and were wicked, and his people saw their error and they changed it. Life would go on. Egypt saw that they were wrong. They sent Israel out with a blessing, and Moses ensured that by asking the people to ask them for silver and gold. Come on, Damien, they just wanted them out. I already told you that. They just wanted them to leave. No. There's more to that. They had to be willing to send them out because that statement was a statement of repentance. By giving them the silver and gold, by sending them out with a blessing, it was an acceptance of their failures and their faults. Their responsibility and the unhappiness, the terror and horror that happened to the Israelites. And Moses knew, God knew, for Egypt's sake, there needed to be that acceptance in going out. For Israel, forgiveness is one of the most difficult things to extend when someone hurts you on this level. We have it in our marriages. We have it in our work. We have it all over the place. People hurt you badly. And God says you're gonna, you need to just go ahead and forgive them. It's easy. It's not easy. It's very difficult. It's especially difficult if they're like Pharaoh and unwilling to even acknowledge the fact that they did anything wrong. Now, sometimes in forgiveness, you have to do that. Sometimes, as it is often said, forgiveness is not for the offender, it's for you, right? That's, that's a cliche, but it's true. But for Israel, forgiveness is difficult to extend in this situation. Come on, forgive and forget. We just talked about forgive and forget before I went to Israel. Do you forgive and forget? Do you do that? Is that smart? You forgive. A thousand times, times ten billion times, you forgive. Even if they won't acknowledge it, you forgive. But you do not forget. And I think that may be contrary to people who say, you know, well, man, you don't love. No, I do love. 
I do love. I love people and I love my own well-being sometimes too because God wants me to be smart with that and He wants you to be smart with that. When someone hurts you, when someone does something really bad and you reconcile it and you make it right, it's good. Love them, embrace them, but don't put yourself in the same situation again. Don't do stupid things. And if you forget everything that happens in the name of holiness, you are destined to repeat the same problems and find yourself in the same situation. So here's the deal. Israel had to for they they had to forgive. Why? Can you imagine Well, let, let me let me think of this analogy. You have 400 years. It's actually 210 years in in Egypt, but we can talk about that after services, by the way, because it's kind of confusing. 430 years, right? That they say that they were in, that you're going to be in Egypt, but they weren't really in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. They were there for 210 years. How's that work? We'll talk about it after services if you're curious, and David will answer it for you. Just kidding. Just kidding. 400 years of slavery, 210 years of hard labor. Exile, hard, abuse, death of your children, treated like dogs, less than human. Is that easy to forget? I don't think it's easy to forget, and it's not something easy to forget. And as, I mean, to forgive. And as a matter of fact, on the Jewish side of things, we've never forgotten it. It's in the Shema. It's in all the prayers that lead up to the Amidah. We have a holiday called Passover that commemorates this. We have tons of remembrances that have to do with this thing. Every day we sing, We sing the song that Moses sung on the seashore after redemption. Have we forgotten it? No. Have we forgiven it? Yes. Now, can you imagine if... We have the, you know, all of our prayers. We remember what God did for us and we remember what God did to us, what Egypt did to us. But in Exodus 11.3, the Lord disposed the Egyptians favorably toward the people. Moreover, Moses himself was much esteemed in the land of Egypt among Pharaoh's courtiers and among the people. There was repentance demonstrated by Egypt to us. And we received it, and we extended back to them forgiveness. Why? Because life would go on. Jonathan Sachs, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something about a nation, uh, any, uh, uh, gosh, I wish I could remember it. Something along the lines of, is, if, if Israel had gone out from Egypt, without letting go of this, without, without distancing themselves, without forgetting, they are not free. They are not a free nation. Can you imagine if we sang songs in our liturgy celebrating the death of the Egyptian children? Can you imagine if we sang songs that talked about how happy we were that Egypt suffered and at Passover Seders, we like cut heads off of dolls to symbolize Pharaoh's sons. We don't do that stuff. 
Instead, as a matter of fact, in Passover during the, cult, the days between, we don't even say all of the Hallel. We sing a half Hallel. You know the Hallel, Psalm 113 to 118. It's sung during the festivals. We don't sing it all during Passover. Why? Because we have to remember that Egypt suffered and died. There's always compassion, but we don't forget. But there is an exchange that happens. The world continues for Egypt. The world continues for Egypt, if, uh, for Israel. If Moses let out a people bent on revenge with hatred in their hearts, is that the way to live? Is that the way you want to live when someone hurts you? Of course not. It's not a strong foundation for a society. We don't thank God for pain inflicted on people. Imagine the transfer. Imagine the transfer. Egypt with this silver and gold and Israel who had been slaves, beaten, destroyed, beaten down. And Moses says, go ask them for the silver. I wouldn't want to do that. But I picture the transfer. Israel goes and humbly asks because they've been beaten down. Um, we're going out now. Can I have the, the cup? Can I have that plate? Why? Because you like Moses told me I have to ask you for this. And Egypt takes the plate, looks in the eyes of Israel, and says, I'm sorry. And Egypt and Israel receives the plate and says, you're forgiven. We're going out. And life will go on. And they left free. Which is how all of us want to live our lives. Why did they give silver and gold? Why did Moses tell them that? Why did God tell them that? Because that was going to, that is like the first lesson that Israel learns. Because we know from the Torah that Israel has and will still suffer. Deuteronomy is a horribly depressing book at the end. But we cannot bear the weight of unforgiveness and live a life as free people who love and serve God. There's, there's a, an extension of this that God, the, the importance of Him communicating this to Israel is made evidence in something that He tells Israel later regarding their own slaves. Israel had slaves. But God said something. When you send out a slave, when their service is done, when their time is over, you're going to send them out empty-handed? If your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press, as the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
The Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. The slave is given a gift, not to make up for slavery that can't be undone, but to say and to know, and not that they were necessarily guilty, but there was this transfer of go with a blessing. I received the blessing and I'm going and I'm going free. Where's Yeshua in this? Because we're a Messianic synagogue, so I always need to find a way to squeeze him in. No, no, you don't have to squeeze him in. He's all over it. That's his message. That's his message. To Egypt, he would say this, John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Egypt was free. Pharaoh was not. And you see the evidence of that as he still can't let it go and takes other people with him into the sea and they all die because of his bitterness. Matthew 18, parable of the unforgiving servant. See also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's for Israel. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. You want that, right? Of course you do. We all do. On both sides of a conflict, we give gifts. Maybe not silver and gold, but you extend to someone your humility and your repentance. And sometimes you receive from somebody. I mean, sometimes you have to give back to them your forgiveness. For the one who's been hurt to receive this gift, you can can turn back. You can reverse. You can give a gift back to them that's worth millions in gold. That is freedom from the hurt they caused you. And you leave free. And that's what God knew. And that's what Yeshua knew. That's what Moses knows. That's new. That's what Paul knows. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Messiah Yeshua forgave you. Pharaoh, he never got it. Never got it. His is the picture of hatred and revenge destroying a life. Even after all the devastation, I just said, He pursues them and leads them. And He actually leads other people. And you know what? You can do the same thing too. Your malice and bitterness that you hold, if you tell other people about it and you make somebody look really bad, you drag them along with you. You drag them in. You don't do that. That's called Lashon Hara. You deal with it. It's interesting to note that as I said, this was the first thing First big lesson for Israel. You're leaving free if you'll let it go. It's not hard to see why Yeshua came preaching confession, repentance, forgiveness, personally of course, but to others. Equally as much, maybe even more, if you really want to be free. And so, we should know this. Miriam sings this song. She, the Miriam song, she says, at this in next week's Parsha, sing to Adonai, for he is exalted above the arrogant. 
having hurled horse and rider into the sea. Pharaoh is the arrogant. Let us never be. To live in pride and forgiveness in unforgiveness is to daily be swallowed up, right? Why are you giving me this message right now, Damien? This is a Rosh Hashanah kind of message. Like, this is when I got to come and be ready to forgive people and do all that stuff. I don't want the Gregorian New Year to feel left out. I'm going to give you this message to start 2019. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever bag, baggage, whatever it is, You've committed something to someone. Recognize your error. Humble yourself. Give them silver and gold. And God willing, if there's something for you that's holding you back, God willing, you can have a conversation with somebody. They can recognize their error and they can extend to you humility and you can give them back this great gift of forgiveness. And we will do something amazing. Something amazing. We will live free. Just like Israel. Just like the new creations that Yeshua made us to be. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.